Welcome to the Lovability Podcast. My name is Jennifer Stiers, and I'm here to talk love, relationships, sex, marriage, and everything in between. Uh, we are in a brand new studio. Super excited today. So it looks a little different behind me, I know. Uh, I see all of you uh, starting to log on uh, to Facebook Live. So uh, we're super excited to have you here today. I'm also super excited uh, to have my guest today. Uh, my uh, guest is Elizabeth Carroll. So she is uh, the executive director and CEO of the Marriage Boot Camp. Uh, she and her husband, Jim, took it over. Elizabeth, when did y'all, t- what year did you guys take it over, kind of transition with Dr., because it was Dr. Phil's originally. Yeah. So that was 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I just aged us. Okay. <laughs> um, so they have been, they've been doing the marriage boot camp for about 30 years, and I've known her forever. I don't know why we have, you haven't been here before, but, uh, but we are going to talk today about childhood trauma. Uh, I had asked Elizabeth, because she does counseling like I do, and, and, and especially with the boot camp, I said, what do you see, Elizabeth, normally with like kind of a common theme? What is the biggest theme that you see? And it's exactly what I see. It's childhood trauma. It's, it's people bringing their stuff in from their childhood uh, to their relationships. And where do they show up? It's funny. I just put a post up today is you never know how damaged somebody is or toxic they are until you start to love them. And that's where the wounds hit. And that's where the triggers are. And this is when it shows up is when they get in relationships. So uh, so welcome to the show. Uh, I would love for you really quickly to tell us just a little bit about, I mean, I, I, I know we're not doing an ad for Marriage Bootcamp, I get it, but I want people to understand what you do there and the transformation that happens. I've referred a lot of people there over the years. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. So I'm trained in traditional psychotherapy and I do couples work in a traditional sense, but what I actually, when Jim and I met about 15 years ago, the first thing he did was he took me on a test date. You're like, you know what I mean by a test date? Like someone was like, I'm going to see how she reacts in this situation. Well, boot camp was my test date. So I went there as a traditionally trained um, therapist, and I was horrified. I was like, no, this is, this is not how this stuff works. And then I started to see how the modality uh, transformed people's lives in such an active and participatory way right. that it was like, oh, my gosh, the fruit... And the change that I saw in a very short amount of time is nothing that you can do in traditional, right? In right. traditional one-on-one. So anyway, I got involved then. And um, so what we do is it's four intense days of, in, of deep work. And we, uh, the way I look at it is that you throw people into the deep end of the pool and then you teach them to swim. So it is an active um, um, way of doing this kind of work. And it happens quickly. We also use a lot of um, like guided visualization and active uh, structured conversations between a person and their mate or a person that they don't know. Right. Put them in a diet and have a conversation. The modality is very, very active. So I, I, the most I'll do is maybe five minutes of teaching and then get into a diet and let's have this conversation. Let's learn how to use the tools. So that's the difference between what we do at the boot camp and what you might see in other seminars where it's a big lecture and you right. take notes and that kind of thing, or in individual psychotherapy where you're sitting one-on-one with a, with a practitioner. Yeah, you know, uh, I love, we were talking, having this conversation about uh, uh, cognitive therapy, and which is what you do and what I do, and, um, and how 
putting some of the neuroscience into the process just makes things work so much faster. You guys, this is a heavier conversation sometimes than we're used to having, but every single person that's watching needs to listen to this because there's not anybody that doesn't have some form of childhood trauma. And the thing is, is you don't realize how much it's affecting you and your relationships until you get into them. Like I said, it hits that trigger and then you become a different person. And I've heard many of you say, and I'm sure you have too, Elizabeth, uh, where they say, I'm perfectly fine. I have boundaries with other people. I don't act like this. I don't have the same trigger with work or my family or my friends. It's only relational. And so love does that to us. Uh, And that's why you need to heal before you get into a relationship. Uh, So... And so let's talk a little bit about that because I think where it all begins, Elizabeth, and then I, I of course, want your, because you've got so much experience, it's at that childhood where people, something happens to them. It could be a mild trauma. It could be a major trauma. Um, let's take just a, a major, like a major trauma, right? We could take a major, someone's um, raped, incest, right? Things like that happen. Uh the way that they have to, uh, they have to survive. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, they still have to, they still have to go on with life. There might be people they have to hide it from. There may be the world they have to hide it from. They may, they, they, they're shamed sometimes because of it, or most of the time. And so there's all, there's a story that they have to tell themselves to get through it, which is the same story that carries over into adulthood, which affects adult relationships. So let's talk about that a little bit sure. from you, from your standpoint, because I, I also feel like I just said something that people heard, but they may hear it differently from you. So what is your experience there? Yeah, it's a, a great point. Um, but I want to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about brain science, if I okay, can. Okay, perfect. So think about uh, the mind. The mind is, generally speaking, the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, okay? The conscious mind is creative. It is aspirational. It's where we dream. It's where we create things, right? It's the hub of that. And the subconscious mind is automated. It's programmed in a couple of different ways. And so first of all, between the ages of zero and seven, our brain downloads information, programs, habits from our environments, okay? And we automate that, um, those programs by observing the people around us. Some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. There, the science says that it, that more than half can be self-sabotaging programming. Then about the age of seven, <clears throat> um, our conscious mind develops, and, then we, and it's like software. So you now have a software program upon which to act in life. So the other, the other thing that changes or affects our um, daily functioning, or, or the, I should say the subconscious programming, okay, you've probably heard about you can develop a habit in 21 days, right? through intentionality, through habituating, but it really takes a much longer time and a lot of discipline. So 21 days to develop a habit, 21 more days for it to be as strong as its negative or shadow counterpart, and then 21 more days to have the shadow um, decrease. Mm -hmm. So all of that is, I mean, 63 days in order to reprogram something that is taking place in your subconscious mind, driving what you do, day to day. So, for example, um, I'm sure that you've had um, uh, experience trying to develop a new skill or trying to learn something. Yes. Okay. So it's really challenging. 
because especially especially the, the older you get, <laughs> the older you get, and the more deeply programmed you are. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example. If, um, well, let me just say this: if we weren't running off of old programs, I could have a client come into my office and I could say, "Stop doing that bonehead thing," and they'd be like, "Okay, I'll stop doing that." But it doesn't work like that, does it? No, and you know what's interesting, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know, people don't think about how much just, it, not just our programs and our thoughts and our beliefs about love and relationships, but I mean, they were talking about driving and cell phones and the research yes. they did on that. And like they said about 80%, 75 to 80% of, of our driving and things that we do every day are subconscious. Yes. So peop, this is not something that you all are aware that you're doing. Right. So these, I mean, that's why you can never counsel yourself or fix yourself because you're never going to be that objective third party right. outside of yourself because those programs are running. Right. And there's all these filters built. So by the time you're seven years old, you have all these filters built in your brain that things are running through. Well, it must, you know, this happens, so it must mean this, and this happens, so it must mean this. Mm -hmm. So it's going through through whatever filters were built with whatever tools you had. Right, right. Yeah. And a lot of those tools were for survival's sake. Exactly. They weren't necessarily for self-actualization or for creating the next new thing. It's just so that you live through the day. Um, yes. And I'll give you an example. If you were bullied as a child, like I was, um, I developed a survival mechanism that then manifests later as um, suspiciousness, mm -hmm. uh, negativity towards relationships, and a trust bar that was extremely, extremely high. Okay, so it was very hard for people to get close to me because I had to survive, right? So the problem with this strategy was that it was invisible. I didn't know it was a strategy, I just thought it was the right way to live. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah, so I'm thinking, no, I should be suspicious. I should be careful who I allow in my inner circle. I should, 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 should. I should it on myself and believed it to be the way the world should be. And that's the way it looked, and yeah. that's the way everything was perceived. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, then there's the other people, because I know some of you as well. I'll, I'm one of them, and I uh, feel for you, all of you out there that are the same way where you trust everybody. <laughs> because, I mean, right. when you grow up in an environment where you don't have those things and everything is safe in a sense, you know, it's safe for the most part. You don't have any reason to look outside and there's a naivety. I've known people, yeah. you know, and myself included, I, I will say, where there's a naivety there to other people's motives and things and you don't, and I always admire people like you that, are, that can see it because you are, we're trained to look for it. So, right. you know, um, interestingly enough, I had somebody ask a question on the post and he, uh, he had asked about if there, if we thought that there was a reason that God gave us that experience, if, you know, if he, we don't heal it all the way so that it stays in our conscience, so that it stays in our awareness, so that we're able to deal with things could, because everybody was, Everybody's been dealt a different hand. Yes. Well, it's interesting because um, Harville Hendricks, I don't know if you know who Dr. Harville Hendricks is, he has an entire uh, theory based on um, the concept that we have unfinished business from our childhood mm -hmm. that remains in our inbox, and then we're attracted to it. Yes. Okay, so this is how I think God does that. He, uh, and I, when I counsel couples, I always say, all right, how does your mate represent your worst nightmare? Right. Okay, so for me, having been bullied, I'm always attracted to the bully. Right. 
always attracted to that book. Why? Because it's in my inbox. You can relate and, to them. Well, no, it isn't that I can't. It's subconscious. It's unfinished business. It's like I have got to slay the bully in order to get on with my life. And I think that, um, that God uses that uh, constellation of behaviors for the purpose of pointing right to our wound. So, for example, if you are uh, dating some guy, and he looks at you and he pokes you in the side, and you're like, what are you doing? And he's poking you, and you, he says, there's cancer right here. You can't see it, but I can see it. And he pokes you and pokes you, and it, and it, um, it irritates you and it hurts you, but the blessing is, is that he has just isolated and pointed out exactly where the wound is, and that's what the unfinished business model of choosing mates right. is. That if, if I'm mad at Jim for being a bully, and I'm thinking he has to change, it's the wrong way to look at it. I need to look at it as, okay, what is it about his behavior that is hurting me so badly? How is that behavior my creation? Yeah, or, how am I drawing that in? How yes, am I attracting it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Because and there's a whole science around um, attraction. Yes. And a lot of attraction is because that person is going to hurt me in exactly the way. Yeah. And, and it's the familiar because when you have a wound, and let's just say the wound is you grew up in a home or an environment where you were bullied and you had to defend yourself. So you know how to defend yourself. So you're going to, I mean, very simply put, you're going to attract people where you are put in a position to have to defend yourself, not because you want to, but because it's comfortable and it's what you know. You know, there is a familiarity there. And, you know, just like abuse, uh, just like alcoholism with codependency, if you have a pattern and you know how to deal with that pattern, you know how to deal with abusive people. That's why we attract our wound, our pattern, until we heal it because we we know it's the familiar. We don't want it. We may not necessarily want to have to defend ourselves or want to have to walk on eggshells like in that kind of environment of abuse. Uh, but we do it. We find people because there's a familiar element to it. And if that's what love was, so there's that filter of love. If that's what love was, if love was, you know, um, forgiveness, love was looking past things, love was walking on eggshells, love was, you know, all those dysfunctional things until you recognize what that was in your family, until you recognize what love at the core is, was for you, um, how you received it. I'm sure you go through that in the boot camp because you look at people's mates. I'm sure, Elizabeth, you guys do this where, and I haven't been through the marriage boot camp, but thank God, no, no bad marriages here. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I shouldn't say that. Bad marriages didn't go through the boot camp. Um, but, but having said that, you, um, you, you, what was I saying as I was talking about? I just completely lost my train yeah, of thought. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the point you were making was that there's a familiarity that you're attracted to and that you have the tools and the skills to um, advance your own um, best, best self. Yeah. And, and because you have those, and what you're saying is that because you have those tools, um, those people are attracted to you. There's an energy thing there. And I, I, I would agree with that. Um, but I also think that there's something very deeply subconscious. In fact, Freud talked about reenactment um, uh, disorder, how we continue to go back. And the Bible says, as a dog returns to its vomit, there's a lot of things that are happening that we are unaware of. Yeah. It's like you wake up and go, oh, crap. This is exactly like my... I, in fact, I, 
my therapist 30 years ago, I was like, crap, I'm dating my dad again. And he's like, <laughs> exactly. And he said, you will always date your dad. Just make sure there's enough good stuff around that constellation to support the relationship because you can't change your imprint like just by saying I'm not going to I'm not going to date guys who are jerks. It doesn't it's not that simple. You know, one of the things I do with my clients is I do go back. Oh, this is where I was going. I do go back to that to the parent to how our, how we how our, we were loved by our parent. If you look at yes. uh, you know how uh, dad loved me and how mom loved me, that's typically where uh, women will find their boy their their mates mm-hmm. is they look at their father and they look at how their dad loved them and their and their their issues they have with their dad and they're the same. They are they are the same love and and there are tools. I mean, obviously, tools to be able to very simply say once we've identified where the wound is, we've identified that uh, and we identified what we don't want. Like, yeah. okay, I thought that was love. Right. You know, I called forgiveness and sacrifice and not that sacrifice isn't, but um, uh, overlooking things and walking on eggshells. I called that love, you know, and, and but it's not. And here's what it should be. So here's what it really should look like and feel like. And so we re-identify. So now we try to create a new we try to create a new pattern for what we're looking for. It does take time to do once you've recognized it, but merely recognizing what the dysfunction was, where we got it, you've opened it up, it's you're looking at it, it's raw, it's it's the open wound, but then you have a decision to make with new tools because as a child, that's all you had. You didn't have a choice of what you got from your parents. You didn't have a choice of how you were treated. You didn't have a choice sometimes in, th- in situations that happened to you if you were bullied or whatever, right? You, the, as children, we were more of victims. Whereas an adult, we have different cognitive tools at this point. We can say, well, as a child, I thought it was this. You know, it looked like this. But as an adult, I understand now that it can be different. I understand now that that really wasn't love to, to, you know, forgive my, to forgive them for treating me so badly and then act the next day without an apology, act the next day like nothing happened, right? Just things like that where we've gotten into these patterns of behaviors that are not healthy that we don't realize subconsciously that we're doing, unconsciously that we're doing, and we've called it functional, we've called it love, we've called it whatever it is, but at the end of the day, and as we're in an adult relationship, we, or as an adult, we can say, you know what, it's, that's really not loving somebody to let them treat me that way. You know, that's not loving myself to let somebody else treat me that way, and it's not okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to change my definition of what love is at this point, what it should be, and, and put that on your list as you're moving forward as to what you're going to accept versus what you had. It's, it's more of an override. So it's more overriding things. Yeah. Um, I actually, looking at brain scans and looking at the, the neuroscience mm-hmm. and all of that, um, it's, it's not that easy. It's not as easy as saying, okay, I'm going to identify this, that I, yes, I'm attracted to the bully, so I'm going to stop choosing bullies. No. Nope. If, if it were that simple... That would be. I would not. I, yeah. I did not mean to simplify it that much. Okay. No, yeah. So no. let, let me just. Um, so what happens is that you have neural pathways that are wired Correct. for a particular kind of behavior, and the only way to unwire that is through is to is intentionality, 
have changing the belief? Uh, well, you've already changed the belief. Okay, you're already saying being bullied is not a good thing. So that's an awareness of the bullying. It's not a good thing. You've just redefined it. Great. Then there's the next step, which is you've got to create some behaviors to to uh, counteract the way that you would respond to that. But it's it is so subconscious that it is very very difficult to just re- recharge. So what what I wanted to do is I what, when I work with my clients, I have a um, tool that I use for them. It mm-hmm. is a, um, a cognitive uh, processing tool because what, you, what, what I'm talking about is cognitive impairment, right? I'm not talking about being dumb right? and choosing the wrong kind of guy. It's actually a cognitive impairment. So how do we, do, how do we repair the cognitive repairment, uh, impairment? And so what I have my, my clients do is a simple ABC sheet. I actually brought one, so I'll show it to you in a second. Um, but you have to start mindfully tracking what happens, what you believe about it, and how you feel about it. So it's A, it's B, it's C. It's action. They just walked in the door and interrupted our stream of, of conversation. Mm-hmm. My first B is, okay, that's disrespectful. So how does it make me feel to be disrespected? Okay, so there's four emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Mad, sad, glad, scared. A lot of people don't even, can't even identify how they're feeling. Right. So the process is um, capture the action, the situation, track what b- thoughts or beliefs come up for you f- associated with that action, and then each of those thoughts has a feeling attached to it. And then you keep going, okay, what did I think next? Okay, what am I saying to myself? How does that feel about it? And you have to sit and, and monitor all of this stuff, and it brings the stuff out of the subconscious files and into the conscious matter so that you can start saying, okay, that belief is actually a lie. What's the true belief? Right. Or alternative thought, which is another cognitive processing therapy. Um, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, I do something similar, like, in, in, while you're getting your sheet together. Uh, you know, sometimes I have people do that same list where I have them put... This is what happened to me. So it may be that it may be that letter to the parent or a letter to their partner, um, but usually it's the parent because that's where the wound is. Uh, so, mom, this is what you did to me growing up. These were the behaviors. This is how it made me feel, and and this is what happened because of it. But this is what needed to happen. So then there's that whole next step of, but this is what should have happened. This is what it should have done, and this is what what it should have looked like. So. It is a simple process of pulling that out. Uh, I pulling that out. So it's just uh, you're right. People sometimes don't. They don't. They It'll don't understand how it makes them feel. Like right. this is what you did, and this is how it made me feel, and then this is why that happened. Right. This was the result of it, and this is what, how it hurt me. Right. Because that's that whole owning of that wound. Right. Right. And the other piece of that is that um, that is an internal process. It's not an external process. You don't go challenge and chow down on your mom, which you did this and that made me feel this and da-da-da. No, this is a 100% me being with me, me, me healing it's myself. It's your work. Yes. Yeah. And so, for example, if, the, if you can identify a feeling of anger or a feeling of sadness, what I'll tell my clients is, okay, a, a, a feeling or an emotion is like a wave on the ocean. So, it's coming at you. You're getting a little inkling that something's coming your way, mm-hmm. right? 
And if you are someone with a cognitive impairment, you're going to go, stop, stop, go away. And then you'll pick up a project or you'll take a drink or you'll do something so that you don't have to deal with it. And what I say is let that feeling come in. It is going to rise. It's going to crest. And when it's cresting, you're going to feel like you're going to die. You're going to feel like you're going to die. Mm -hmm. Studies from PTSD tell us that the longest that your brain will hold you in a state of agony is 40 minutes. Now, 40 minutes sounds like I'll stroke out and die, but but <laughs> That's the tr- a long time. Yes, the, but but the the good news is you're not going to die and you're not going to stay there for the rest of your life. Yeah, the max is 40 minutes. The norm is maybe 30 seconds, and you and I said stay there, stay there, stay there until you can bodily feel yeah. a shift in your energy, and then it's going to roll over. And that's going to resolve. Now, when it has, when the wave has resolved, and you're right here, you're given a gift of wisdom, yeah. and you're calm. And I'll say, do not go talk to your husband until you've ridden the wave, yeah. and you're here, you're at the calm space, right. and you still can cognitively say, okay, that behavior made me angry, but you've burned off. It's actually proteins in the brain. You've burned all this stuff off all by yourself, mm-hmm. your own responsibility, so that when you go to a person, you don't have that ah, energy yeah. that will immediately send somebody's red flags up. They're and, triggers. Yes. You know, one of my friends and I were just chatting about this, and he called it staying in the room. You've got to learn how to stay in the room. And, and that's just a great analogy for that, is that people want, that's, that's how all of those behaviors of denial uh, come into place is that nobody wants to feel the pain. Yeah. They don't want to feel the anger. They don't want to feel the hurt. They don't want to feel the stuff that comes naturally from something painful yes. or hitting a trigger. But you've got to stay there and you've got to allow it to hurt. Because if you can allow it to hurt as an adult and then get through it on the other side, number one, you've taught yourself an important lesson that you can get through it, which a lot of people don't know how. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's I think, where we see... I mean, people that use substances because they don't want to feel things. So they, you know, people that use alcohol and drugs and things like that, they they will use those things to numb themselves so they don't have to feel those kind of pains and those emotions, whatever those emotions are. Uh, so it's uh, it's super important, as Elizabeth's talking about that feeling wave, um, you know, that you go through go through that and, you know, and, and stay in the room for it. Yeah, and so there's something else that happens too. Uh, your the neuro pathways. There, our brains are neuroplastic; they change all the time. If you have a stroke and a part of your brain is deeply damaged, your brain will figure out workarounds if you get the proper therapy for it. Um, so, if while you're riding this wave, there's two chemicals that are taking place. One is norepinephrine, also known as um, uh, adrenaline in the body. In the brain, it's norepinephrine combined with acetylcholine. So these two chemicals, these two neurochemicals come together. And those two chemicals make you feel awful. They're the same chemicals as in a panic attack. Mm-hmm. But what's happening inside the brain is it is those two chemicals are marking the places that are weak. Right. So if you imagine two neural pathways and then there's a break in the bridge, those chemicals are going to mark this end and mark this end. There's a, there's a repair cycle during sleep. And as we're sleeping, another flood of neurochemicals come in and go, oh, okay, they marked that bridge. Let's go to work on that. And then you'll wake up in the morning with a stronger bridge. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, what I always tell people about staying in the room, if you will, is that it isn't just an awful feeling. It's a way that your brain is marking the places that are weak so they can be strengthened. It's the same thing that athletes do when they're learning a new, a new skill. Stay with that awful feeling of humility, of fear, of all that stuff, because the chemicals are marking those places for repair. Yeah, you know the one thing that uh, the one thing that I don't like about some, and I know it's not your program, but there are some programs out there that take people through processes like that, where they'll pull them into that crisis, right? Whatever that crisis mode is, and allow them to feel it. But then there has to be a tool on the other end yes. to get people through. Yes. I mean, it's as simple as, I mean, it's not as simple as, but I'm just trying to use a simple analogy. You know, like when you had talked about the belief, when you have a belief that, uh, you know, of, of something, if you don't, if you don't change that belief, so for example, if you go into a relationship and maybe uh, the guy that you're dating disappears, right? He, he's gone for two hours. He doesn't respond to your messages. And then all of a sudden this belief comes in like, oh, well, my, all my boyfriends have cheated on me and he's probably, you know, working his way out of the relationship. I'm losing him. So, you know, then all these thoughts come in, right? This belief, there has to be a process that comes in. You have to have a tool to be able to say, you know what? This is not, this is, I, this is my wound it has nothing to do with him, and I need to have a new belief about relationships and love and giving somebody new a chance, not holding something over somebody's head. So you have to have a new understanding. Or even as simple as when you, um, when you have a negative thought, turning it into a positive, you can't change the nerve, and it, you can't change the way it's it's. It's um, hitting that nerve unless you change it to a positive. So I won't let anybody say anything negative about themselves. So if they'll say, I will no longer um, date narcissists or I no longer will, you know, have a relationship with a narcissist. Well, then what will you have a relationship? What does the opposite of that look like? You know, you can't, you can't feed off the energy of what you don't want. The brain doesn't work that way. It's going to give you more of what you don't want if you focus on what you don't want. So you have to there's the tool. You have to move it into the energy of what you do want. Do you know what I'm saying with mm -hmm. all that? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's a matter of flipping it to where you have, you are making it a positive. Now, of course, you can't cover it up. I mean, I get you're not, you can't just state a positive and that's all that there is to it. But once you've gone through, once you've gone through, you've got to have a tool or something that helps you understand how to get to what, where you want to go, what the end result is, what the intention is. So when you talked about, so for example, let's go back to your, your, you know, she, she's in a fight with her boyfriend or her husband and she's going to go feel that out. She's going to go sit for 40 minutes and be in pain and do whatever. And then she's going to get through that anger and that sadness and that hurt and whatever else that is. Now she's come on the other end and now she has the opportunity to meet with her husband and chat with her, chat with him. What's the conversation? What's the tool at that point for that person? Yeah. So that's really a tool on both sides. And it's something that we use at the, we teach at the boot camp. And it, it's, it's MVP, MVP. So the first thing you have to do is when you, when you um, contend with someone who has hurt you, the first thing you have to do is look at that person and say, right now you are the most valuable person in my life. 
Right now, you have all of my attention. You are the most valuable person. Then it's an acronym for actual um, communication skills. So actually saying that, or you're just thinking you're, that? You're okay. thinking that. <laughs> you have to, sure. Yeah, no, you just have for, to get into a mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to get into a mindset that says, this person is not my adversary. This mm -hmm. person is important to me. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel what I feel, right? Right. Then the MVP is an acronym. It's like M is for mirror. And both parties have to have that. So if I'm going to say, Jennifer, um, I, am, uh, I am angry at you for the, um, the terrible directions that you gave me, okay, getting here. So then you would mirror that and you would say, okay, so let me make sure I have this right. Uh, you're angry at me because I didn't give you good directions to get here. Did I get that right? So that's what you would say to me. And I would be like, yeah, you got that right. Or you might say something, so you're just like pissy all the time, aren't you? And I'd be like, no, that's not ex And then you would ask, did I get just that right? Just most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so mirroring is a very important tool. Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, Carl Rogers, who is such a brilliant theoretician with the originals, Freud, Jung, and, and Rogers. Um, then the V stands for validate. Mm -hmm. Okay, I might not agree with you that that's... Uh, annoying, but I value you. I value your opinion. I value your thoughts and, and uh, all of I value That's such that. a big step. Yep. I think that in itself is so missing. I mean, just, I mean, obviously the ability to be present with somebody, but that validation part, that's something a lot of people need to work on that end of it because you may not understand it. You may not understand somebody else, but you need to respect them. Yep. And that's what that is all about. It's respecting them is validating them. Yes. I don't get it, but if that's what you see and that's what you feel, then it's real to you. Yeah. Right? It, right. And it makes sense that you would that your your feelings make sense to me. I may not have the same feelings. It's like a child. They're scared of the storm. You can you can value and you can see why the storm would scare them, even if the storm doesn't scare you. Now, you that's know, validating. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, because I think that that's, you know, we see the world. Perception is such a, such a big thing. We all have our own backgrounds in the way that we see the world. So we're all going to see it differently. And, you know, I can, I can say this. There's plenty of times I can't relate to somebody and something that they've been through, something that they're thinking, or a way that they're thinking. I have literally said I had uh, I had Michael Moulton on the show, and he is uh, he's an addiction expert, and uh, he was talking about alcoholism and the way that the brain works with that, and the he was talking about resentment. And going into this big, uh, long conversation about resentment. And, but that's his world. Like, that's what happens in his brain and in, in, in his heart when things are going. And I couldn't relate. I just remember sitting there going, how did you go from here to here to here? Like, it didn't, it made no, I cannot relate to that at all. I can't feel what you feel. Yes. I'm never, I don't ever want to feel that, yes. <laughs> by the way. But having said that, I think there's that element of, and I think this is super important, um, that we, <laughs> that we say, I can't, I, I don't, I don't understand that because I haven't, I haven't felt that before. I, I'm, I can't relate to that because I haven't felt it, but I respect that in you. And if that's the way you see it, then I'm going to work to see it on that. Your husband got on here and said that Elizabeth girl is hot. He's great. Uh, hey, Jim, <laughs> welcome to the show. We're, uh, we're glad you're that Elizabeth lady is hot, he said. So, um, 
silly. He's just trying to get laid. So, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. working. That's all right. Uh, not working. Ah, uh, Jim. Got to keep <laughs> keep going there. Okay, so we've got Ellen says, Elizabeth Carroll is a blessing. So beautiful and inside and out Aww. and extremely kind. Uh, her, her skills work and melts uh, conflicts. Very grateful for her amazing work. Uh, Ellen, somebody that's oh. obviously done uh, oh, work yes. with you. Yes? It, well, she, um, yeah, Ellen. What a beautiful woman. Um, she is in Seattle. Uh-huh. She's a trademark attorney. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, it's, it was a privilege to, to work with her and meet she and her husband. They have a beautiful son. And, um, yeah, actually, business. I, I hope I'm not, like, blowing your cover here, Ellen. But um, <laughs> she, she and her husband came to the boot camp and were kind of tricked by some other friends saying, oh, yeah, 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 you'll like this, da 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 and, they came, and I could see on their body, on her body language, it was like, Oh, hell no. I am not going to sit here in a room full of 100 people and just talk about my... No, I'm a private person. But by the end of the boot camp, you know, I, 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 you know, we just ended up in a little love friendship because she was so tender and so willing and so hardworking that she wanted to be her best self. She wanted her husband to be her best self, and they wanted to be the best couple for their son. And it just... Um, you know, it's it's interesting when you see people come in and they're like, "Oh hell no!" Uh-uh. That's why she said you melted her. Oh, you me- that's that that describes it. You know, it's it's interesting because uh, I I never thought to ask you this, but you know, when I get couples, I don't like to see couples together. I don't want to work with couples together. <laughs> I'm per- I get. I mean, I get if you're yeah. doing it in an environment like you're doing where you're just working it out. But I don't want two people sitting in front of me for an hour complaining about each other or pretending because they're sitting next to them that nothing's wrong or doing, you know, faking it. So, uh, so that's a hard, that's a hard turn when you have to take somebody that doesn't want to be there, and and make them do the work. You have that, or or inspire them, I should say, to do the work. You can't make anybody do the work, but yeah. inspire them to do the work. Yeah, no, I actually like working with couples, and I, the reason is is because they blow each other's cover. Yeah. I mean, I've had people come into counseling, and they're, you know, my life is da-da-da-da, and then I get with their spouse, and they're like, no, she's like blah, blah, and I'm like, mm. We don't always see our shadow selves. It's behind us. It's out of our vision. So I like working with couples because they, they do. They rat each other out pretty Absolutely. And you can see the dynamic pretty quickly when you've got them both in the room. But it is it is like um, herding cats in a barrel. You really do have to have a very strict structure yeah. so that it doesn't go off the rails. And I traditional couples counseling just just irritates me mm-hmm. because it is. People come in, they just fight the whole time. And the, and or the they thera- fake it because they don't want to hurt their feelings or, or say the truth. Yeah. yeah, or that. And the therapist kind of nods. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'll stop them after a sentence. Okay, stop. What I ju- and, and let me just get back to the MVP. Yeah. Mirror, validate, and hope. I, and I use it all the time. What I heard you say, hang on, hang on. D- don't respond yet. What I heard you say is that he does this. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. And and I'll make him listen until she's able to fully express what she's thinking and feeling. Right. And I'm like, did I get that right? And I'll stay with her until she nods and says yes. Mm-hmm. That is what I'm trying to say. Then I'll turn to him and I'll say, okay, before you sell, tell your side, I want you to mirror what she just said in, in as much exactitude as I just did. And so th- what happens is when a person is truly fully valid, uh, mirrored, when I say to you, what I'm hearing you say is that this really frustrated you. Did I get that right? 
all of a sudden, something happens to me. I start actually feeling what you just shared. I start feeling you. And that's the reason we don't like doing it. I don't want to feel your stuff. Right. But my thing is, I am, I am hardcore. I force them. You must mirror until you get a nod that you got it right. That's a, that's and, a great point. And I'm going to pause you for a yep. second because I want everybody to hear what you're saying because it's so important. I mean, whatever relationship you're in, whether it's marriage or you're dating somebody, this is an important tool. Pay attention because this is where... This, when, this is where conflict happens and where we don't resolve it because right. one person's not listening and the other person's not being heard, and this is how we get through it. So right. please listen closely. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is. And it's not new. I mean, this yeah. is, goes to the very beginning of psychoanalysis. And, and I mean, it's right. if, if, and when I was in graduate school, I had spent a full semester just knees to knees with another train therapist in training, and we just mirrored, 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 mirrored. I was like, oh, my God, really? It's like, did I hear you right? Yes, you heard me right. It's not just... <laughs> Nauseating. An, it, yeah, it, but it's not just an exchange of information. Eventually, by the end of the semester, I was like, oh, my God, I feel you. I totally feel you. So that tool, that sharpening of my sword, now when I have people come to me, I can feel them because I trained through mirroring. Now, if I can get a husband and wife to mirror until they feel the other person, yeah, it's a game changer. You know, it's interesting because, uh, because people ask me all the time how I do what my job, where people come with all their stuff to me. And we have to feel it. We have to, yes. you know, we feel what they feel. I mean, there's plenty of times I'm holding back tears because something's so hurtful. Yes. I feel it but I'm not owning it. Yes. And it's just, I don't, I couldn't even explain to somebody how I've done, how we do that. But that's, if you can't do that, then it's super heavy. And then you're carrying it around and owning people's stuff. But there's a level of detachment that you have to have to it where you can feel it without owning it and just being empathetic and understanding. And it's, it's, that's an interesting, uh, it's interesting that you practiced it. Oh, yeah. I, would, I mean, that'd be nauseating, yeah. but how, I mean, I guess that's how you get better well, as a counselor. So you hear you, it all the time. If you think about the wave, mm-hmm. what, what we were being trained to do was receive this person's pain and be like, holy cow, and ride our own wave. Yes, there are times when I am so horrified by the things I hear that Ugh. I just weep. Yeah. But I am strong enough to be able to stay in that horror and the sadness and, the, and, and know it's going to it's going to roll over right and when i'm done i will be able to release that and i'll have a little bit of wisdom for having ridden the wave for and with this person i love that and i'm going to i'm going to pause you right here because i think this is such a great point because here's where here's where people need to get wiser about identifying their own wave yes. right because what happens is when you start to feel something, so people start telling their story. So this happened to me, and and then they get to the lie. They get to the story. They get to the point where they have changed the story. You know what I'm saying? Like so the, something happened to them. They don't want to feel the pain, so all of a sudden they divert. They go to a different place, and that's where you have to catch yourself is when you go to that place maybe where you are dumbing down how you felt or you're saying things like, well, he did this to me, but, you know, I, I got through it. I'm okay. I, I, I understood, da-da-da-da-da. But where you're doing that, yes. 
you're missing. You're you're, avoiding. You're avoiding. Yeah, you're missing. You're diverting. And you have to stay in it. That's where I stop people. And I go, no, no, no. We're not going back. You know, we're not going to, we're not, we're not moving away from this. Let's stay here. Yeah. So, and, and, and you're exactly right. There is a way in which we will, we train ourselves early on Mm -hmm. to survive by, by avoiding that horrible feeling. Think about being a child and you've been molested. Many children will describe an out-of-body experience and sometimes an identification with the aggressor. Right. Why? Because if they were fully present in that moment, it would shatter them to the point of psychosis. So the brain is very savvy. It's like, just shut, shut, shut. Avoid, 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 avoid. And the Forgive, forgive, forgive. Let it go, let it go. You know, just... Okay, so it doesn't it doesn't work in a fully developed mind. So you're absolutely right that you cannot you have to catch people. I mean, I've had I've had people that I've said, okay, that we'll get to the place and they'll be like, oh my god, it's just so awful. And I'm like, okay, let's stay here. I'll I'll stay with you. I'll mm-hmm. stay with you. Let's just stay here. Let's just watch this feeling. And I'll have them just meditatively feel their bodies, feel the pain. And watch, because we have what's called a multiple perspective advantage, and Dr. Caroline Leaf talks a lot about this. Mm -hmm. The ability to act, watch ourselves act, and then another part that's that's, uh, communing with the Holy Spirit. So we have this multiple perspective advantage. So what I'll say is watch. Watch yourself. Watch what's going on here. Be fascinated and curious. And just having someone as a witness to your pain can be so healing. Yeah. 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 You know, um, I, uh, I love that. Uh, and that is a whole other, that is a whole other level of healing that takes yes. place when you can do that and go yes. to that place. Uh, so let's talk about, because I think here's the one thing from a simplistic standpoint, cause there's so much behind the scenes as we've talked about with the subconscious mind and, and, and our, our brains and the way that we have, uh, we've trained our brains to work or not work <laughs> or shut down at places. Uh, so let's, from a simplicity standpoint, talk to people about uh, identifying how do we identify where our childhood wounds are because everybody has them. And that's the thing that y'all need to know is everybody has them and they are affecting. So you need a first look at your pattern. So if you look at what keeps happening, right, in your relationships, who you keep attracting, a certain energy. I know I hear people go, gosh, I always attract these, these drama. It's always drama. Yes. Guys say that a lot. Yes. <laughs> and, guy, and, and, and women always say, why aren't there any good men out there? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, that whole, what she just said, I hear guys say that too. Where are the good women? If you're not attracting good men and good women, your definition of what good would be, this is a place where you need to go because you are operating from, you're looking for the wrong thing based on an old wound or old program. So you need to do work if you continually attract the wrong person. So look at your pattern first, Mm -hmm. right? And so you see where you need the help and the work, uh, what, what comes next? Where to, where, what would you say comes next? So let me, let me just, uh, speak on that. And I, I talked about this. I don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to catch it, but this is the form that I have my, oh, yeah. my, um, uh, clients use. And I had one client the other day say, I had a dream where you were saying, did you do an ABC sheet? Did you do an a-? <laughs> So yeah, I'm kind of an ABC sheet Nazi, but this tool will help you that, and you'll start catching and capturing the patterns of your life. 
-hmm. And you'll also capture those moments where you want to skip by it really quickly. Mm -hmm. So this ABC sheet, and I make everybody at the boot camp, all my clients, everybody has to do this, and it, it trains the brain to pay attention. And as your brain is paying attention, as your mind is monitoring, you know, if your observing ego is watching and monitoring, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, oh, let me just say this. Okay. You talked earlier about uh, modalities that throw people into their trauma. And that, so um, the reason that throwing someone into their trauma can work is Right now, our minds, our brains are set up to say, hell no, I am not going to go there. But if, if you will go through your trauma story, and I, I have my clients write their trauma story from the age that they were wounded in first person. I am six years old, and the, this man broke into my bedroom through the window. And then detail after detail. Then I have them read it to themselves every day aloud, over and over and over. Yeah. Then what happens is the brain starts to get the message. You mean it's okay for us to talk about this and look, about, look at this? It's, it's okay. Because the brain has very, very uh, uh, powerfully segmented and, and ca encapsulate that memory so that it doesn't hurt anymore. And so what we want to do and is... And then we, there's we, judgments about it, too. So I just don't... I want to make sure that we hit that, too. It, the brain has segmented, segmented it, but it's also judgments of good, bad... Sure. Right, so sure. right, wrong, good, bad. So we have that element as well that we're right. working through. We can't talk about that because that's not appropriate to talk about, or that's right. bad when that happens, or that's you know that's you know right. what I'm saying. So those are so all the shameful. those are all the bees, mm -hmm. all okay. the bees, and then those bees are going to make you a C feel some type of way. Right. So the first step is to put someone into their story and and force them to stay in their story until it burns some of the energy off of it. And there are there are actual physical proteins in our brains that, and genetic markers, I, I think there are, I'm going to say this, I don't know if this is true, but there's like 36 different switches mm -hmm. on our DNA for genetic markers, and only a few of them are on. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the trauma story causes a person to over and over and over relive, 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 and go, oh, I didn't, it didn't, I didn't die. The brain, the subconscious, which is the driver here will start to get the message, it's okay to do this. And then all of a sudden, I see more detail, little things popping up, and they're like, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, I just remembered this one thing. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, because your brain was keeping that encapsulated and keeping it from you to protect you. And now you can tell your brain, I don't need the protection anymore. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to do this. I've actually had to uh, send people back to their childhood pictures before yeah. to go through pictures to remember because they've buried things so deep that they don't even, they have no recollection of years of their childhood life. And they'll, they they like, well, I don't think anything was that bad, but I just don't remember anything. <laughs> Whoa, there was right. something there because right. you don't just forget, you know, 10 years of your life. Uh, but but that's, uh, that's super important that people are willing to go there and, um, and look at those things. Because right. as a child, 
When something happens, you don't have the tools. You don't have the cognitive tools. What it means to you as a child, like when parents get divorced, you look, what happens with kids that they're young, very young, they're like, well, that's my fault. What can I do to make my parents happier? How have I been a bad kid so my parents don't want to stay married anymore and have me as a child? Or I shouldn't have done this and caused all this stress in our mar- in their marriage, or my they wouldn't divorce because it, depending on the age, kids can blame themselves. Whereas when they get older, they look back at that and they go, I did blame myself and I felt really bad. And I kept trying to put my parents back together thinking that I could fix it. But now I understand as I look back, like they never loved each other. They never touched each other. They never said nice things to each other. Like I didn't have anything to do with it. But as an adult and with your cognitive tools now that you have, you have a different way of looking at it. So a lot of times just being able to open it up and look at it and look at the beliefs surrounding it as an adult with new cognitive tools, mature cognitive tools, and the ability to reason that you couldn't reason when you were younger, you now have a different mind, you have a different tool. Well, let me say a little bit, little bit about that. Children, it's very, very common for children to blame themselves when they've been molested, blame themselves when the parents yes. were. Now, the, the twist on this is that it's a form of empowerment. Children are very, very narcissistic, like narcissistic, yes. and, and it's the um, primary, we're born into primary narcissism, and that's normal. Developmentally, we move out of that. But there's a way in which a child, it's too <laughs> That's going to be a trigger for some of you. <laughs> well, it's too, it's too disrupting to a child's immature mind uh-huh. to see it any other way than I have the power. I have the power to make all of this stuff happen, and therefore, if I have the power, I can have the I have the power to change it too. It's a very grandiose way of, of self protection. Now, here's why: is it I, narcissism or is it just <clears throat> selfishness? You know, no, no. Primary narcissism is a developmental stage in, in a child's life. Every child is born into it. At two years old, the the primary narcissism starts to break, and they're like, "Oh crap! I I don't." I'm not the boss of my mom. Are you kidding me? And that's why they have Somebody the Somebody tell my shoes. cat that. Yeah. <laughs> but let, let he's me, still stuck in primary narcissism at age 12. But, okay, let, me, but let me just finish. <laughs> I digress. Let me finish this thought. Okay, sorry. Um, so it is a way for the child to protect its brain mm-hmm. from fragmentation to, to say, I did this. Now, you're right. As Now, as therapists, as dealing with adults, we need to be able to tell them, it's, of course you blamed yourself. It empowered you. It helped you survive. Now it doesn't work anymore. So let's, number one, normalize it. Let's be compassionate because it helped you survive. Mm-hmm. And now let's make some different choices. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the conversation with anything because however we justify, however, whatever uh, cognitive or physical tool we use to survive, to get through something, whatever story we have to tell ourselves, whatever pattern we developed uh, to get us through, it got you through your, your life. You know, you survived. You, at some point, there, and some of you really need to hear this because at some point, you have to fix it. You have to heal the wound. You have to be willing because living in survival, number one, is not good for your nervous system. It's not a it's not a good pattern to be in to keep revisiting 
an, a, an old wound over and over again because you haven't fixed it pulls you back to that same feeling every time, pulls you pulls you back every time to an old wound that you never wanted to feel in the first place. But if you keep attracting people that are going to give you that, then you just have, then you keep feeling it and keep being hurt and whatever emotion that is. So there comes a point where you have to make a decision to change and move forward and change and change the pattern, change the belief, change whatever it is that has been holding you back that has been paralyzing you change whatever survival tool as you just said whatever survival tool you you had there has to be a new story does that do does that make sense kind of um i think yeah yes i mean i'm just thinking about the neurological processes and then the developmental stuff there's a lot there it's it's a lot and it is there's shame associated with recognizing your dysfunction. What I want to do is take the shame away and say, no, you're normal. It's the way that you survived. It is right. developmentally appropriate to right. do this and this and this. Um, so it, it looks like we're almost out of time. Is that right? Oh, my God, we are. Oh, that flew. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. we've got three minutes left. Wow. Okay, I, I did want to say one thing. I All of the boot camp tools that I, that I just pitched out, one was MVP. There's a bunch of them. But I've created an online marriage boot camp experience called Marriage Boot Camp Academy. Okay. Just marriagebootcampacademy.com. Okay. So you can get all of these tools, the ABCs, the MVP, the love story, all of the unfinished I'll business. post those. I'll, I'll post the link to that great. after the show. Uh, so that is, that is great. Thank you so much for being here. You know, this is a big conversation. I mean, I love that you went into such great detail. I really appreciate it. I know a lot of people learned a lot uh, through this. And there's, as you said, I always try to simplify things and make them May try to try to make it quick so that there's more tools for people to take with them, almost like you're going to church and then you get a message and you can go home and and work through that. And uh, and there was a lot to download, I think, on this. So uh, so I think ultimately, I guess where I'd like to leave things with people is if. If there is a wound, if there is a pattern, and there always is, there always is something, I would say start with the pattern. And we've talked about this before on many of the podcasts. Uh, Start with the pattern. Look at what your pattern is, and then you go kind of backwards from there. You open it up, and you kind of, you you dig in, and you kind of go from there. But you've got to start somewhere and look at what isn't working in your life to figure, to to get to what is. Uh, and uh, before I forget, you know, I want to I want to make sure that we uh, that we thank you, everybody, for listening. By the way, I was just looking at your comments. I'm so glad you you joined us today. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, too. Uh, I have uh, Aiden Kingston as our new sponsor for the Lovability Show. She's beautiful. Every time I see that picture, she's just stunning. Uh, she is a dermatologist in uh, in Uptown, a cosmetic dermatologist. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I know... For all us uh, single people uh, wanting to look our best, uh, we may not look like Aideen, but uh, we can we can definitely go in and get a consult with her and uh, and find out what we need to do to look our best. Because I know it's important. We live in Dallas. <laughs> this is this is one of those cities where we want to make sure we're uh, we are looking our looking our best and putting our best uh, our best foot forward. So uh, thank you, Aideen, for that. Uh, we'll see her soon. And, uh, and uh, I will post the tool for the marriage boot camp. 
I cannot stress enough, even relationships, if you are in a relationship that needs work, you don't have to be married to go to the marriage boot camp. Uh, and I, just, I send people there all the time. That's awesome. Uh, so, uh, so believe in what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you're you. so wise. We're going to have to have you on again thank for sure you. to talk about more, uh, more of these things. So, uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, you can always listen to us, uh, on any of the podcast uh, stations, Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, and whatever else, uh, you listen to there. So, uh, if you missed anything or you want to hear it again, uh, so thanks for listening. We'll see you next Friday at noon. This is Jennifer. Thanks for listening today. And please subscribe to the podcast. Every single week, we'll have new information. And if you'd like to find out more information or if you have any questions, please go to my website at lovegen.com or you can find me on Facebook at my personal page, Jennifer Stiers.